Welcome to the Ad Proficiency Podcast, presented by NerdJam.net. Whether you're a new player or veteran dungeon master, we're here to help you add depth to your game. Today on Ad Proficiency, we're concluding our skill series by deep diving the charisma skills. While the other skills are generally used to know about, understand, or physically interact with the world, charisma and its skill interactions represent the entire social pillar of the game. The skills derived from charisma are used to determine how effective your influence on others is, which is useful for everything from avoiding suspicion to directing masses of people. These abilities push the story along due to the way they can permanently impact relationships and situations. There's a lot of overlap between the charisma skills, so we're organizing this episode a little differently. We're first going to discuss how to utilize social skills as a whole, then delve into each skill, its nuances, and lightly discuss how to roleplay it. We're also attempting to clarify how these skills are used, since their open-endedness can lead to differing expectations and confusion. And of course, we'll sprinkle a little homebrew on top, just to round things out. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. So starting with social skills as a whole, these are things that can be done through any combination of the charisma skills. We usually use charisma skills when we want to exert our influence on an audience or situation. But since they're so open-ended, how can we know what we can ask for and how far we can take things? For a new player who's never really played D&D before, how would you summarize the social skills and how they're used in 5e? All the social skills are going to be used basically to get something for you or for your party. Okay, so we're using them for things like access. Yes, generally. um, Access to goods, services, or even people. How should a new DM feel about handling social situations? Well, you'll definitely want to take your social encounters seriously because they're basically what shapes your story in your game. They will dictate who is going to be allies with your party, who is going to be enemies with you, who will sell to you, who won't, that kind of thing. So what does a social role look like? How is being in a social encounter different from combat? If you're trying to make roles, you're generally trying to get something you want. You're just talking to people. You're generally going to be weapons not in hand, basically. Yeah, so really the way it plays out is it's very similar to just like having a conversation with someone as if you're just speaking to them, more so than fiddling with mechanics all that much, although you will roll in certain instances. But just in general, NPCs have interests and aversions just like everybody else. Don't talk to NPCs like flavorless cutouts. You're doing a disservice both to your expectations and the immersive experience for everyone at the table. Keep in mind that in a medicine, your DM is on the receiving end of the way you treat people. So if you abuse all the NPCs because your character acts that way, it's really the DM sitting at the table that has to like respond in character over and over and over. And like that, that could get old. Remember to be sure that it's all in the spirit of a good time. And if you're ever not sure, all you have to do is pause the game for a few seconds to ask your DM if they're having fun. But general rule of thumb, to get the most out of your social encounters, treat NPCs like real people. To figure out where to start in a social situation, ask yourself, or do an insight roll, what does this person want? What would they give to have it? What don't they want? Assume NPCs act in self-interest, like most strangers we come across. It's not a bad thing. People generally take care of themselves over randos, and NPCs do the same. A merchant who sells stuff for a living isn't going to fork over their goods at 99% off because it works against their own interests. It's unreasonable to expect people to go to self-sabotaging lengths just to help you, but you might be able to cut a deal of some kind. Use your common sense. Whether you're a player or a DM, consider the NPC's level of interest, income, cunning, position, quirks they might have, desires, and problems. 
Keep in mind that roles mean different things to different people. Some people might be more stubborn than others. Any other general advice you want to add for social situations? I would definitely just reinforce being mindful of who you're speaking to. And I will say if something is potentially triggering in your game, you may want to let the players know ahead of time just in case anyone feels uncomfortable with any kind of content. Yeah, yeah, just let them know like, hey, we're going to be talking about these sort of topics today. Or that might be a good session zero thing too, is just check with them early on to see if they're going to be into the kind of game that you want to offer them. Okay, so glancing over social skills as a whole first, how would you use social skills in combat? So really all three skills can be used to avoid, cause, or even end combat altogether. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Or you could gain an ally or call for the aid of NPCs, whether that's by persuading them, tricking them into helping you, or threatening those who don't stand with you. In addition to that, you could also affect a creature with verbal skills, whether that's calming, provoking, confusing, or disrupting them in some manner. What about for mobility? How would you use social skills as a whole for mobility? Well, generally, you're going to use those to find yourself a ride in some way, shape, or form. Any of the three skills can be used depending on what the situation is. Yeah, so again, we're seeing access in the form of people, places, travel services, events, or some combination, maybe access to places through people. You can also increase the effectiveness of bribes and avoid detection by traveling under different names, seeming differently to different people, or discouraging investigation. In terms of utility, social skills can be used for access to information or items. They can also be used to utilize people in your personal projects, whether that's organizations or follower acquisition and management. So overall, often social encounters are dictated by the flow of conversation and exchange of information, and depending on your DM, roles may or may not enter the equation. Your phrasing and tone are often strong considerations of how the situation is going to go. Charisma skills are probably the most player skill heavy, as skills such as one's persuasive ability and effective phrasing lend themselves greatly to how you're received by the DM. There's a strong meta element to charisma, and we look forward to exploring such meta player skills in a podcast down the road. Let's go ahead and dive into the nuances of each skill, starting with persuasion. How would you define persuasion? Well, I would say persuasion is generally the lawful good character's way of getting what they want in a nice, polite way, using the right phrasing and the right elements of money or favors otherwise. That's a good point. It probably would be very strongly utilized by lawful good characters who won't be deceiving or intimidating quite as much. Absolutely. The player's handbook description of persuasion is this. When you attempt to influence someone or a group of people with tact, social graces, or good nature, to act in faith, to foster friendships, make cordial requests, or exhibit proper etiquette, and so on. I would say persuasion is the most direct way of exerting your influence. Deception and intimidation checks are kind of like persuasion checks with phrasing conditions imposed upon them. With persuasion, you don't really have to worry about the delivery as much, and you can just ask directly for whatever it is you're trying to make happen. This is one of the more user-friendly skills for this reason. So jumping into combat, what, what would you say are the uses of persuasion in combat? Well, if you're trying to persuade someone to do something in combat, generally what you're going to be doing is maybe not getting them to hurt you and maybe hurt someone else or to unite with your team against a common foe. Okay. So yeah, gaining allies, uh, this is probably the easiest way to do it since you can just directly ask people for help. But also, this is probably one of the easiest ways to escalate or de-escalate situations. And this can be on a small, like, interpersonal level to something like advising for or against war uh, on a much larger scale. 
through the use of persuasion, you could lure people hearing about like, hey, come over here, that kind of thing. Or like, oh, absolutely. Like, Let me show you something over here. Something like that. So anything else you want to add to combat? Uh, no, I feel like we've got a nice code on that. All right. Nice base. So as far as using persuasion for mobility, I think this is, again, kind of already covered in the same way that the other social skills get you access. So for persuasion, this is going to be your most direct form of access to people, places, events, services, and so on. You can also kind of turn transportation into a form of money making, as in being a caravan guard, that kind of thing. And it also eliminates some travel costs for you as well if you are working for someone that has a large amount of money. Okay, so you're talking about like cutting a sort of deal. Yeah, hiring you for protection for this dangerous route they're about to go on. Yeah, so there you go. You can maybe even like talk down the price or or have no price at all. So in terms of utility, you can make a request, of course, as all these social skills can do. But particularly for persuasion, you can make a request when trickery is too dangerous an option and intimidation is a bad idea. So these are going to be situations like when you're dealing with a powerful noble or mobster with the resources to wreck you and hide the body and you just don't want to mess with that. Persuasion is going to be the skill for talking to these sorts of people. Possibly even some extra planar deity or entity that is far more powerful than you oh yeah and and there's going to be situations like that charm and seduction so this is the much loved application of persuasion there's also an opportunity for structure here how can you use persuasion to better a relationship or earn a better disposition towards yourself I would use it to let someone know that there are large benefits to being on your side, like monetary income, fame, that kind of thing. Whatever would appeal to that person's particular interest at that moment is what you're going to be using persuasion on. You're generally appealing to their interest as well as yours. Right, right. So basically what we're saying is there's no formal system for how this works. So the way it's handled is generally that a person will treat you better the way one might expect. Like you're talking about the manner in which they treat you, what they'll do for you, what their opinion of you is. But there's no hard rule about getting benefits. If you say this thing, well, that means you're going to get advantage. It's up to the demon to be like, okay, well, like this person receives this well. And so it's appropriate for this to happen. So don't expect any automatic modifiers, advantage or other hard perks, but the DM might consider granting them if they deem it appropriate. And just as in real life, NPCs generally recall how their social interactions with you go and their attitudes and conceptions of you will permanently change. In this way, being charming can serve you in many unexpected ways in the long run. Combine persuasion with insight to intuit what your audience finds charming and deliver that to them. Anything you want to add to charm and seduction? I will say I generally like to limit it to things that would actually feel attraction towards something of that nature. So I wouldn't say like a human bard could use a seduction check on a gelatinous cube or anything of that nature. The creature has to be receptive to those advances for a seduction check to even be a thing. That's an excellent point. Not everyone is going to be receptive. So even if you roll super high numbers, don't expect to strong arm the DM into being like, okay, well, this person just likes me now because like, look at this math. There might be cases that you as a player are not aware of where it just wouldn't be appropriate for you to get perks like that. How far reaching are the benefits of seduction? Well, I've seen some people go so far as to sleep with the endgame boss, thus avoiding the encounter entirely. Hell yeah. 
there you go. Conflict avoidance, peaceful resolutions. Um, what seduction advice can you give us? <laughs> You're asking another nerd for seduction advice. I okay, am, I am. Um, help, help all the other nerds out there with their persuasive seduction roles. Pay attention to the needs of the target of your seduction and be sure to play into those heavily. Um, geez, that sounds awful. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you're right. Think like a sugar baby, right? It's who you're seducing, what they can offer, and is it safe and worth it? Is it going to be awesome and will it kill you? Those are generally what you need to worry about. Yeah. It might not be a bad idea to enamor a suitor that can assist you in some sort of way, that offers some sort of benefits like you're suggesting. But seduce everyone, just in case, because NPCs are like a box of chocolates. <laughs> so jumping back to utility for persuasion influencing opinions and changing minds possibly the most powerful role of persuasion you have the ability to directly influence the plot through influencing the decisions and perspectives of characters you meet you can use this to push your agenda and steer outcomes it's through the use of persuasion that character builds which invest heavily in social skills become capable of creating drastically unexpected outcomes. So like you suggested, what if instead of killing the big bad, you change their mind? What if you convince a random character to become your follower? What kinds of plot reforming madness occur when you convince an NPC to turn against their allies? Another utility use for persuasion would be to gain priority or delay a situation. You could ask, is there any way to expedite this process? We're in a great hurry. Or you could use logic or clever wordplay to introduce confusion, which almost might be an intelligence check. But I'm kind of thinking of like when Bilbo delayed the trolls until dawn by basically tricking them into like sort of squabbling amongst themselves, that sort of thing. Another good use for persuasion would be haggling and selling, assuming you already have an attentive audience. This would be something like saying, like, can I talk down this price considering its condition? Or can I talk up this reward considering the additional risks involved? Or if you're trying to sell something, you could be like, this is a rare opportunity. I'd be willing to part with it for blank amount. So we're just going to very lightly skim over the roleplay aspects of persuasion because roleplaying social skills deserves its own podcast, which we'll cover at a later date. So just to get us started, what are some job opportunities? Where can somebody persuasive find work? As an auctioneer, trying to convince people to buy something for a certain price. There you go. Merchants, salespeople, that sort of thing. Criminals. Basically anybody who needs a face guy. Snake oil salesman. You could another be another yeah. merchant. You could be a con artist, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, or actually, that might be a little bit more deception. But touche. You could you could be selling something you actually believe in. Yeah. <laughs> and could be that, selling potions. Yeah, you could be. Yeah, essentially, you could be just selling anything really. News, politics, networkers, somebody who gets people in touch with one another. You could also put your persuasion skill to work creating convincing propaganda. When it comes to writing anything in particular, you can use persuasion to determine how convincing your writing actually ends up being. So if you want to convey a message through mass media, you can use persuasion to determine how influential that becomes. Or deception, whichever one. Or deception, yeah, depending on depending on the content, I suppose. How would you reflavor persuasion? Perhaps you have a hormone device that makes people do what you would like them to do. Makes them suggestible. Absolutely. Maybe you have a probability calculator that determines your speech and just feeds you lines. Or maybe your voice has an enchanting effect that sort of just lulls people into a state of suggestibility. Any particular notes that you have on persuasion? 
persuasion is definitely going to be the nice way to get things done. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This is going to work for those good aligned players that want to role play that out. Would you say that use of foul speech is persuasion? It would depend on the context. The context? I would really say that if... Uh, I almost want to say performance for that one. But I can see how, like... Because I feel like if you're persuasive, then you know what you're doing. Absolutely. But also, like, pulling an emotional response out of somebody is kind of what performance is for, too. So, like, do those verbal skills apply? I would say it depends on if it's out of character for that person as to whether it would be a persuasion or a uh, performance Okay, interesting, interesting. Okay, I like that. How do you feel about persuading people of things you don't believe in? I feel if you don't believe in it, that would fall under the purview of a deception check. Even though it uses the same verbal skills? Absolutely. Just because you have to convince other people that you believe in this enough to support this cause, even if you don't actually believe in it. Okay. What about charming and seducing people you're not actually interested in? I would also use the deception for that You'd use deception for that as well. Okay, interesting. So if that's the case, then deception has an element of charm and seduction to it as well. Absolutely. Interesting. Okay. So speaking of deception, let's go ahead and jump on over into deception. I generally prefer deception because it can achieve many of the same ends as persuasion if you're clever. And deception can be used to trick people into unintentionally ignoring self-interest, giving it the ability to push people a little farther in terms of what you ask for. For example, you might not be able to persuade a blacksmith to give you his goods for free, but you may be able to trick him into thinking that you're here to pick up an order he is to be compensated for at a later time. How do you feel about deception? What are your thoughts on deception? I feel like deception is a fun skill, and once you've used it around a party member, they're generally going to be skeptical of you. As a roleplay side effect, you might get a lot of insight checks to things you're saying just because you were deceptive to some, very deceptive to someone at one point. And if they discover that, then they'll basically try to find you out all the time. So there's a certain meta element. It's interesting that you should say that because I was actually going to bring up at a later point that anonymity is a powerful tool when it comes to using deception. And it's true that if you do this in front of your allies, they're going to be aware that you have these deceptive skills. So be mindful of who you do this in front of. So moving into the combat applications of deception, how can you use deception for combat? Hey, look, a distraction. Get someone to turn away from you and possibly give you advantage on an attack while their back's turned. There you go. To distract somebody. I've got feints and jukes as well. The Unearthed Arcana skill feat describes a fainting mechanic for this to sort of help reinforce this consistently. Use of disguise to avoid or escape combat or to rally unsuspecting allies. If you're wearing a guard uniform, maybe you can rally guards to you. Or to introduce confusion. If somebody's issuing orders, maybe you try and imitate their voice to issue different orders as they're speaking or something. And maybe they don't know where those orders are coming from. Or feigning death. Would you consider feigning death to be deception or performance? Deception under close scrutiny, performance from a general cursory glance if people are walking close by. If someone is looking at you trying to see if you were alive or dead, then I would say that's a deception check. It's interesting that you should say that because I came to the same conclusion as well. And we'll cover that a little bit more in our homebrew section. How would you use deception for mobility? I do like the concept of becoming guards to caravans, that kind of thing. So perhaps you convince the caravan master that the road ahead is more dangerous than they think it will be. Mm -hmm. Or you just pass as one of the guards who have already been hired by that caravan master. 
Absolutely. You can pass as others to gain their access and to some extent their resources as well. We'll talk about the disguise kit a little bit more later on. Note that deception can allow greater access than persuasion might normally allow. For instance, two soldiers guarding a door might know not to let anyone beyond that door other than other soldiers. It may be more difficult to attempt to persuade them to let you and your friends in than to pretend to be soldiers. This is especially true if the person you're deceiving is not familiar with the person you're posing as. So what about the utility of deception? How do you feel about that? What are some things you can do with deception? I would say deception has a high versatility as far as getting things that you need or want or getting people to do the desired effect with deception. You can artificially inflate the price of items and make yourself the only seller of this item to generate a large amount of profit. Okay, so you can artificially inflate it, but also sort of mislead people about the rarity of an item? Absolutely. It's part of the artificial inflation process. Okay, yeah. I would say misinformation is probably one of the most powerful uses of deception. Misinformation can be used to give yourself a lot of power. In addition to that, there's access to information, services, or goods, usually through a trick. This is kind of one of those things that you can use all social skills for. Or you could attempt to hide any lip reading or verbal spell components. I tend to say that sneaky somatic components are more sleight of hand. If you're trying to convey a hidden meaning to your allies, kind of do that like wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing, but you're like saying it in front of somebody, I would say that you could use deception for that to hide your intentions, actions, or reactions. In a sense, this is like social stealth functionality. So like if I'm lying to the players, they can roll insight and I'll roll deception against them if it's a lie. Or a player can operate their projects in secrecy, maybe even without their party members knowing using this skill, and perhaps stealth or performance, you know, if it becomes relevant. I would also add that this skill is used to validate your illusions, convince people of what they see. If someone isn't sure what they just witnessed, but you're one of the fellow witnesses to confirm that what they just saw was real, that makes the whole experience much more convincing for them. Plan out what people experience like a cutscene. This is going to be great for those warlocks who have silent image and can do lots of scene creation using their abilities. So getting into role-playing a little bit, we talked about how the ability to make people believe things are true is basically just raw narrative power. You can make up your own information and feed it to NPCs like it's real. Who you are, where you're from, what you do, as long as you love me. Also, the way the world is in other places, people's intentions and the way people feel about each other, things you have witnessed or heard, and what is real or true and what isn't. Consider what response your lie will evoke before you speak it, just as in real life people will remember what you say, unless you have a modify memory spell, wish spell, or a fates card from the deck of many things ready. You can create and significantly alter storylines with the deception skill. Using this skill, I can tell people I'm a completely different person from a completely different background, lie to them throughout a conversation, get information that I need, and disappear like a ghost by ditching that identity. You can infiltrate organizations, be anyone, form relationships based entirely on deceptions, etc. The amount of control of the story this skill can provide is almost unique. Keep in mind that what people believe is real to them. Framing a situation so that it's perceived the way you want it to be should be thought of like a reality-affecting superpower. The more careful and thorough you are, the more real it seems. Watch Gone Girl or court case documentaries to see how framing can have a powerful effect. Or compare the same news story coverage by different stations and see how they're different. 
I once used deception, silent image, and thaumaturgy to trick a city into witnessing false gods. It really only took some careful planning. Interesting and clever deceptions are a joy to watch. It's crazy engaging to watch a clever player think on their feet, especially if it's risky and they're feeling the heat. Designing deceptions is a great way to create content and scenes as a player between sessions. The more care you put into your lies, the more dramatic and extreme the payoff can be. Deception scales through the roof when it comes to potential risk and reward. Note that persuasion may come into play when trying to convince someone of something. Persuasion and deception are the two halves of the social coin, in my opinion. Intimidation can be extremely useful, but I find it's generally less flexible for reasons we'll get into later. Anonymity is a powerful tool when coupled with deception. This is the point I was going to bring up earlier. If you're lying a lot, it's probably better if people don't know who you really are or where to find you. Deception's nice because it protects your identity while also being used for interaction. Persuasion and intimidation don't really do that as much. For that matter, it's worth noting that deception and intimidation cover actions as well as verbal skills. Persuasion's intended to do this as well, I think, for things like being gracious or making particular gestures, but generally speaking, you're going to see a lot more action-based usage from deception. So, what are some job opportunities for deceptive people? Where do you need a good liar? Maybe you're a spy or a double agent, and you need to be able to feed different information to both sides, determining the fate of whichever kingdom you want to prevail. Ooh, I like that. It's kind of like the that movie, The Departed. Something I did once that I really enjoyed was I played a great old one warlock with the actor feet and mask of many faces so I could shift my identities constantly. And I kept my abilities a secret from the rest of the party and just pretended to be like a regular person. And I was constantly using deception to be different characters who were interacting with the party in order to make different things happen. Hiding your abilities from the party can be incredibly interesting. Hiding your projects from the party can also be very interesting. This kind of goes back to we were talking about having animal handling, having a raven that delivers messages to other cities. You can have whole projects going on and just use deception to hide what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. Deception can build empires. Oh, yeah. Or bring them to the ground. Oh, yeah. And it can do it behind the scenes, too, which is really cool. So how would we reflavor deception? What is deceiving about you? Or how can we look at this as being something other than just like simple lying? Perhaps you have some kind of psychic ability that gives you suggestibility over people and makes them believe you a little easier. Okay, so deception is more just this effect taking place on them. I like the idea that maybe it's not just a lie, but that your face just doesn't reflect emotion or reflects the wrong emotion or just isn't visible. And so you're much harder to read and people just have to accept the things you say at face value. Kind of like if a droid were saying things, it's like, how would you know a droid was lying to you? Absolutely. Okay. So any final thoughts on deception? Well, I feel like deception is one of the most useful skills in getting things that you want not necessarily that you would normally have access to. Yes, I agree completely. I I would go so far as to say that deception may be, may be the most powerful social skill in terms of what you are capable of and potential risk and reward. Remember that confidence is a big part of seeming innocent. So like if you got caught, you could be like, what do you mean you caught me? I'm supposed to be here. Maybe like throw off suspicion, essentially. Jumping into intimidation. What is the intimidation skill? I would say intimidation is making people scared of you to do what you want under pain of anything, basically. 
Okay, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. The PHB describes it as when you attempt to influence someone through overt threats, hostile actions, and physical violence. In a lot of ways, this is the rated M for mature skill to me. It brings grit and aggression to a game, whether it succeeds or fails. Check with your DM to see how they feel about a character that uses this skill a lot, since they'll often be on the receiving end of your roleplay. I would encourage delicate use of this skill if you have a particularly sensitive DM who tends to take things personally. So some of the perks of intimidation are that you can make more extreme requests. People can be intimidated into ignoring self-interest, allowing you to coerce them into doing more extreme things they couldn't normally be persuaded to do, such as giving you all of their money or betraying their loyalties. Of all the charisma skills, intimidation probably lets you push someone the farthest and get the most out of them, since essentially their life is on the line, or you can make them feel that way. I would also say that intimidation is kind of unique and that it is repeatable and reinforceable. Intimidation is the skill I feel the least bad about letting a player repeat, especially if they perform an act to reinforce their coercion. It's like roughing someone up for giving you sass and then asking again. It's also one of the easiest skills to back up assuming you have faith in your combative abilities. So speaking of combat, how do you feel about intimidation in combat? Well, we did mention earlier it can end an encounter entirely by making an opponent feel that you're too strong for them to take, so they'll just leave. Yeah, just de-escalating combat completely. I feel like it's probably one of the easiest skills to apply in combat of the charisma skills, as it's effectively a skill for causing fear in a creature. I really feel there should be an intimidation-based fear-causing skill mechanic. It makes sense to use spells for that if you're a 60-pound dweeb. But if you're a 1500 pound minotaur that can rip a man in half and bathe in his blood, you should be able to reproduce similar effects. That's assuming minotaurs are about the size of a jacked polar bear. Bulls are actually much heavier than this. Anyways, there's a feat for intimidation-based fear, but I'm not so sure a feat investment is necessary to make an effective in-combat intimidation check, especially after a critical or killing someone in a flavorful way, or seeing somebody killed with improvised weapons. Think about that, that could be pretty rough. It could be that the Frightened condition imposes pretty harsh penalties, namely being disadvantaged on ability checks and attack rolls while the source of fear is within line of sight, and being unable to willingly move closer to the source of their fear. And I can see how it'd be hard to balance this powerful penalty with a free use mechanic. I would probably allow a creature to do this as an action and have the creature remain frightened until the end of the next turn. And then maybe I'd tweak the skill feat to do the same thing, but as a bonus action, allowing a player who invested in it to do so without sacrificing attacks. Especially during combat, intimidation can be enhanced with displays of brutality and aggression. Performances and displays tend to be performances domain, but causing creatures to be afraid of you is specifically the realm of intimidation. So in this case, would you allow your player to make an intimidating display? Absolutely. Let's say you have a group of fighters against you, and they're all fairly intelligent. If they watch you spectacularly decapitate one of their members, uh, the others may just drop their weapons and leave because they'd like to keep their heads on. That's what I'm talking about. I played a pugilist, and pugilists get proficiency in improvised weapons. And so the way I played this pugilist was his whole thing was about environmental kills. So I would just find clever ways to kill people by just John wicking them like into the environment. And I was constantly rolling intimidation checks to just play up this horrific factor of just these like ultra-violent kills. <laughs> it was very hotline Miami. I would also say something similar happened in Chronicles of Riddick where 
there's a group of thugs trying to intimidate the title character and he's drinking tea and one of them says what are you going to kill me with a teacup and he proceeds to do so yeah and then the things. next item he grabs is one of these small little like tea keys that you would use on electronics and sets that down and just looks at the other people this is completely nonverbal intimidation Okay, okay, yeah, so it's like basically like using your actions to do this. You have made an attack action and a severely brutal and effective point that you can kill almost instantly with anything. So basically, you and I are in agreement that yeah. like, yeah, it's it's not in the game, but like, yeah, we would let you do it. Because in all honesty, like, it would be terrifying to see something like that. Absolutely. Intimidation for mobility, pretty straightforward, I think. It's access via coercion and force. Yeah, pretty much. So let's look at the utility of intimidation. Causing fear, generally, is going to do different things. I would say you could use intimidation to impress someone. Like if you're trying to get hired for a tough guy job, like working for the mafia or something like that, it would be useful to be able to have this like very imposing, intimidating presence to coerce or influence decisions. And interrogations. Heads up if you're squeamish, we're talking about information extraction. So I think intimidation can be very effective for information extraction. I have heard that DMs will only provide fragmented or intentionally incorrect information to reflect the begrudging attitude of the intimidated person. I think this is based on the line of thinking that information provided through intimidation or torture is unreliable. My imagination is tempted to disagree, especially if the person thinks you'll be able to locate them again. If you're an aggressive adventurer and likely armed, an intimidated person is probably going to never want to see you again, especially if you'd be pissed off when you found them again. So it seems to me that they would have to have serious allegiances to resist lengthy interrogations in a D&D setting where you can just cure wounds the evidence away. Dark. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, I, I think this is a very powerful aspect of intimidation. This is your bounty hunter hustling that guy at the bar for information, you know, maybe like cracking a, a finger or two, something like that. Batman playing that uh, elevator game with that one detective, you know, threatening yeah. to drop him from the Yeah, uh, throwing the, him uh, off the roof, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. So like, I think in that sort of situation, your average person is not going to be fucking with an armed adventurer, but I guess that depends on the setting and the context. So jumping into role play, what are some opportunities to use our intimidation? Perhaps you are just very scary looking and that can get you a job, basically just standing somewhere looking intimidating and not necessarily doing anything. Yeah, there you go. If you're intimidating... If your high intimidation skill is reflected in your appearance some kind of way such that people who look at you can sort of determine that about you without you having to actually make that role, that's very helpful for having other characters immediately see that value in you. For reputations, this one's a little more DM dependent, but someone who goes around intimidating people is bound to get a reputation for their high profile actions. There's no formal system for maintaining one's reputation aside from the the things you do have a ripple effect approach. But I think if you're going around like questioning people in bars, that kind of thing, you're being seen doing these intimidating things. Over time, people are going to warn other people about you. Oh, absolutely. Or at least a good DM, yeah, should should take advantage of that. How would you reflavor intimidation? Well, maybe you just have this aura of dread that follows you around, like something awful will happen if you're around people. 
oh, okay, sort of like the omen or something like that, where just bad things happen around. And it's not so much that you intimidate people, but they just know that like these horrible things will happen if they follow you around. That's actually really great for D&D because adventurers always have terrible things <laughs> happen I mean, yeah, to them. <laughs> They call uh, murder hobos for a reason. Oh, yeah. Wow, I like that one a lot. World of Darkness's lycanthropes have a sort of system of, like, primal respect. So basically, when a human becomes a lycanthrope and they sort of enter the animal kingdom, they sort of, like, fall into this natural hierarchy of, like, alphas. And there are things you can do over time to sort of work with that and enhance this, like, level of respect. Intimidation, in that sense, wouldn't be so much your ability to frighten people, but your ability to convey your status. Status, your status, yeah, your authority. Or if you want to go the chemical route as well, uh, we could do the pheromone thing where you are triggering adrenaline and it just makes people sort of jittery and nervous around you. Kind of like Scarecrow, another Batman villain. Oh yeah, kind of like Scarecrow. Toxin. Yeah, something like that. I recently played Morrowind and they have a coercion system, which is kind of interesting. Basically, it gives you high disposition rewards because they're intimidated and you're able to push them a little bit further. But after the encounter, after you leave and you come back and talk to them, that person hates you, <laughs> which actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Because like they're like nice to you in the moment. But then after you leave, they're like, man, like screw that guy. Like that guy's a jerk. Any final thoughts on intimidation? Um, well, I would say that intimidation is the sledgehammer where persuasion is, you know, your nice chef knife and deception is your scalpel to get what you need. This is just blunt force. Do this or I'll hurt you. Yeah, very much. It's like crowbar force. I would say my problem with intimidation are the baked in consequences. Whether you're successful or not, it will probably make the intimidated person not like you. This can make intimidation difficult to use with characters the party needs to maintain a relationship with. If you're desiring their apprehension or are trying to build a reputation, this could be a positive effect. This can also make intimidation difficult to use with people who aren't likely to be intimidated by you, such as people in powerful positions. Generally, because of the consequences, there's less friction using persuasion or deception. Deception failures can be bad, but are awkward and harmless at the lightest level, whereas someone knowing you're trying to intimidate them is probably going to annoy them or piss them off no matter what. Persuasion failures can be as harmless as someone saying no and moving on and thinking nothing else of it. This means persuasion failures are probably the lightest as far as consequences go, unless you're choosing to ask for or trying to dissuade someone of something extreme. Keep in mind that the success and nature of social checks often have a lasting impact on the relationship between a character and the player. I usually dump intimidation because it's so niche and I feel that I can do most of what intimidation does through clever use of deception, but a character concept that fully embraced the skill would be a lot of fun to play. Like an Oath of Conquest paladin who gets that fear aura. Oof. Yeah, the, the Oath of Conquest paladin was pretty fun. Oh yeah. So I wanted to ask, do you think this is limited to in-person threats? Not necessarily. I feel that intimidation could also be used to make one scared of a third party, like a looming monster threat, that kind of thing. So you're saying one could use their intimidation skills to make something else seem frightening? Absolutely. I kind of feel like this dips into performances pond a little bit because... I feel like pulling an emotional reaction out of an audience is kind of performance's thing. 
Intimidation isn't necessarily demeanor. It's also phrasing, knowing how to put things to make them seem more terrifying, and also implications of something happening as well. Okay, well, in that case, I guess I can see how that would fit within the niche of intimidation. If we're saying that it's not well, you know what? Actually, this is fair because the the player's handbook definition of intimidation says that it's through overt threats and hostile actions. So, yeah, I guess in this way, I can see how you could use your intimidation skills to hype up something else. If we're saying that causing fear in general is like specifically the scope of intimidation, then I can see how that would take priority over performance. So final question on this. If a player says you need to not do blank because we will do something bad to you as a result. Is this a threat or an appeal to logic? I would say that you're specifically stating that we will do X to you. That means that would be a threat. That wouldn't be an appeal to logic so much because you are making them scared of the consequences of what they would not do. Okay. So it kind of goes to the question of just because someone says something non-threateningly, does that mean it's not a threat? I would judge it in the moment depending on the content of the statement. If that character would perceive the statement as a threat. So what if they said, please do not do blank because we will do something bad to you as a result? That's still not persuasion. That's still an intimidation because you're trying, you're stating consequences of bodily harm or something of that nature. Okay, so we're we're basically saying that if there are consequences of harm, then it's a threat. Yes. Okay, there you have it. That's going to wrap it up for part one of our Charisma Skills Deep Dive. Join us in part two when we cover performance, discuss charisma overall, and go over some of our homebrew procedures. 